Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking with many-time Paratri world and national champion, Aaron Scheides. Aaron's vision has been deteriorating since he was a kid, and he now estimates that he has about 10% vision. But... Even with that, he's still one of the fastest guys out on the race course. He was the first blind athlete to break two hours in an Olympic distance race, and he since won seven world titles. Yet he's never raced triathlon at the Olympics. He'll finally get that chance this summer if everything goes according to plan. But as you'll learn from Aaron's story, nothing ever goes exactly according to plan for him. He tells us all about what it's like to race with a guide, some of his crazier adventures as a cyclist at the Rio Olympics and getting into paracycling, how he found triathlon, and how Paratri has evolved over the years. And before that, we're chatting with our own Laura Sedol for Sid Talks. Laura's actually preparing to serve as a backup guide in Tokyo for a blind British athlete, and she tells us a little bit about it from that side of things. And we dissect all the racing now that racing has finally started again in the U.S. Is every field going to be completely stacked this year? All of that after this short break. All right, we're back this week with Laura Sedol for Sid Talks. And Sid, I know you've been awake for like 24 hours straight, so you're going to have super great insight on the latest pro racing. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> it was exciting, though. We had we had races again at the weekend. It felt almost like we were in a season. I know, as someone said to me, so uh, Gallison 70.3, Texas 70.3, Happened this weekend, first race in the U.S. for 2021, kind of the start of the U.S. season now. As someone said to me, uh, people are complaining on Twitter about Ironman's coverage of racing. So that really is back to normal, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's never been every, any coverage of the 70.3 races, really. Um, I think people at, at the moment are just desperate to watch anything, like watch paint dry, watch... They just want to watch a competition of something. Um, and... It was a stacked field on the men and women's side, and it would have been yeah. amazing to watch, to see some live coverage. I mean, I I was watching it through friends who were on the ground, and like they were just putting a few stories up and on their Instagrams. Um, I won't name names because they'll probably get into trouble. I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> but um, so you kind of saw bits that way, and then through the obviously some of the photographers and stuff. But it would have been amazing to because there was some really great. It was a really great race for both both sides, both men and women. Yeah, like the men, it was like the top three were split by like a minute. And the women, um, both uh, Sky and Jeannie, who were for a second, like ran their way up through the field and yep. were again, like separated by a minute. So it was pretty close, pretty exciting. Uh, and like you said, I think it, it was 68 pros on the start line or something like that. Yeah, it, it was crazy. And even, um, you know, potentially we've got Challenge Gran Canaria in a couple of weeks here in here in Europe. And that's going to be like the European world championships. Cause obviously there's not been a race in Europe at the moment. So everyone's racing that. And then talking to Belinda Granger, who's, you know, pro liaison for challenge family. She's just getting slammed at the moment with requests from every pro in Europe, like trying to get into the challenge races. Cause they're the only ones that are happening. And yeah, it's just, if the races happen, they're just stacked. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been our question is, is every race going to be stacked this year? Because they're and I, I'm going to get the numbers and the stats right. But uh, Torsten did run some of the numbers and there is significantly fewer races so far this year that have prize money. There's significantly less. So everyone then is showing up to every opportunity they have. And like you said, Europe hasn't had races yet. So we are getting a 
handful of Europeans like coming over to the US and staying here for a couple of months. You know, like Daniela is going to come over and do St. George, do Tulsa. Um, I want to say like Joe Gambles came over. Like there's a handful of people coming. So it's just every race is going to be. And I can't decide if this is good or bad. Like I can't like obviously it's more exciting, but it's also a little bit like, oof, like this is going to be brutal. Yeah, it's like it's going to be more exciting to watch or to be part of. Hopefully at some point I'll be racing again. But it's totally brutal for, I guess, that if you go back to like the conversation we've had trying to earn a living because there's no you're just you're just the top tier, like going to be battling it out. And if there's no kind of that development path or being able to get a race with a slightly smaller field that gives you an opportunity or a chance to get a foot on the ladder kind of thing. So. I mean, it's exciting for the sport. We don't get those matchups. We normally only get them a couple of times a year, all the big names. And now we're getting, you know, 10, 20 of the big names racing because they they want to they want to they want to get out there and race because they haven't done for so long. Um, So, yeah, but it is going to be hard for the like kind of second tier. I saw like the New York try was advertising their massive prize purse where they're going to pay third place a thousand dollars. And I was like, oh, that is not amazing. (laughs) I mean, I get it like good for that. But yeah, I mean, and then, you know, the PTO announced um, or they sent an email out to all the pros uh, last week that they're supporting. um, I can't remember how many, but 10 or 12 independent races as well around the world um so that will potentially maybe spread things out again a little bit but there's still going to be i think you know yeah you look at the start list for tulsa well st george it's the championships and then tulsa's championships and there's a load of people flying in like you said and then gran canaria because it's the first one in europe it's like got everybody who i think javier gomez announced he was racing i think jan might be racing you know kinley and all the boys and so it's just gonna be uh yeah i mean it's exciting but then we don't know what's gonna happen at the end of the year so do they (laughs) (laughs) i don't know yeah Uh, The other thing you and I were talking about is you can see now uh, if you know where to look, if you go to like the Ironman Pro website or Pro page, you can see now all the people that have already qualified for Kona (laughs) and for 70.3 Worlds. And it's an interesting list because there's already 25 people qualified uh, for for men and women for Kona and 50 for 70.3 Worlds. And a lot of it just says 2020 carryover. Like they just carried over. I mean, (laughs) almost everybody just says 2020 carryover is how they qualified. And you and I were talking, some of them seem like a little, like, like, how did that carry over? What did that carry over from? (laughs) You know, like we did have a couple of those races last year, but they were, you know, limited. Look, whoever's got that slot, deserves to go they won the race or whatever it is you know you've got to give them that credit but it is odd when it's yeah there were certain races but only a few people could race because of the lockdown or the restrictions or now maybe it's the case of you're going to get to a race and the top five people have qualified or you know the top 10 have already qualified right and then it's yeah it's it's going to be a this really one, yeah. odd year, I think. This is what I was wondering. I only looked at this because I was looking for St. George because St. George is a uh, North American championship. So there's three spots. But then like all the everyone's are, like all the big names are Danielle's already qualified. Paul is already qualified. Holly's already. So I was like, am I going to get a spot? Is this going to roll like all the way down? <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if they are they doing it the same? Like I know for the age group races there. There, and this was even in New Zealand where there's kind of no COVID and stuff, but they still weren't having awards and roll down ceremonies. Yeah. 
like they email the first person and the first person mm-hmm. got like 24 hours to respond and then it kind of goes down to the next person so you know you could you might find out depending where you finished you might find out if they've gone through that process it could be like three months later you get an email going well done on your race in wherever I actually always thought they should have done that for I always thought it was a little weird that you had to be right there at that moment with your credit card in hand. I always thought they should they they could do the email system. That's perfectly reasonable, but it's not as exciting. It's not. And you said the the key thing about credit card in hand. Right. And people make like my husband has been that person standing there with his credit card being like, should I do it? Should I do it many times? And you always when you're standing there, like four beers in after the awards ceremony, you're like, "Why not? I'll pay for everybody. Who's coming? All the family are coming to support. Yeah, we're all going. Exactly. We'll put the accommodation as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, some interesting choices have been made that way. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a it it blew my parents' mind the first time they saw it that they were like, "Wait, you have to pay right here, right now." So <laughs> yeah. But they are doing, like you said, they are doing it by email. I just got an email for St. George where you have to pick your slot to do your bike and gear check in. Um, So it's very, uh, like very set. And you can like, you also can pick, it looks like it's an adjustable system where you can pick bib numbers around your friends and family so that then you're like with them in the transition, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I, I do think from like what I heard from the races at the weekend, the atmosphere is different. There isn't that, right. you know, I think everyone's so on edge, everyone's desperate to race, but because of COVID and the environment, it's like, there's not really that much interaction camaraderie of like, right. I thought it would be like just everyone's so happy to be on a start line together and racing again, but it's kind of that more just they're in, they're scrabbling for points and position and stuff and then they're out and there's no like oh my god it's great to see people again but we can't really do anything still because we're social distancing i don't know if that makes sense yeah i thought i was thinking about that too because i was like oh my god saint george is gonna be you know for me it's the west coast like it's a western rate like all my friends are gonna be there everyone i know it's like i finally get to see people for the first time in like a year and a half and i was really excited then i realized i don't really i mean i don't don't think i'm really even gonna see anybody yeah Yeah. (laughs) so yeah that's okay i mean and it's like a week before my vaccines fully will kick in so and i think that's the we're all waiting for that right when everyone's finally kick in finally yeah those who those who those who choose and if you're in the states and not in europe and trying to get one (laughs) right in the u.s we have like a much higher rate obviously so Well, like you said, I mean, it's still very split up. There's still this thing where Australia and New Zealand are only racing against Australia and New Zealand. It's still like everyone's only racing where they can. Because I had um, another race happen this past weekend, uh, Challenge Shepparton. Ellie Salthouse won. Ellie's won four and four. Four, uh, four, ra- four, four this year so far. And so someone emailed me and was like, is she the most dominant you know, athlete of the year? And you're like, on the one hand, yes. But on the other hand, she's yeah. only raced in Australia. Like she's, And that's not to say that Australia isn't good. Like Australia is really good. But it'd be kind of like if we only could race in Colorado. You're going to get the same. Really, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the same, same in New Zealand, like Hannah Wells, probably. And I'm not saying that they are not world-class athletes. I really do think they are. But it's really hard to compare and judge rightly or wrongly when they're, 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 they're locked down there kind of thing. You know, yes, right. they've had life as normal, so to speak, but they can't get in or out. And that's where they've chosen to race and 
yes, there's incredibly talented athletes on the men and women's side, but there isn't the depth that there. So, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. And like you said, some of them that, I mean, not again, like Hannah Wells probably like would get a Kona spot anywhere, any yeah. place in the country, it doesn't matter. But there are some of these races where people only competed in their place that they could get to because of how quarantines are working. And then they get a Kona slot or they get a world championship slot. And we're not really going to know how they're going to perform at that level until then, because everyone's yeah. still very in their separate places yeah exactly that i mean that and that's to like i mean who knows if they then even where we'll be at that point when it comes to those championship world champ races in terms of are they going to want to take the risk not the risk are mm-hmm. they going to want to take it to travel again to know they're going to have to quarantine or whatever it is at that expense and cost or can they actually get flights still i mean i don't, still don't i'm not convinced that australia and new zealand are going to be out of a the quarantine situation by the by, by October, the oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, say, I think Hawaii may have ended their quarantine by October because, like I yeah. said, US were doing a good job vaccinating, yeah. <laughs> but it will be, uh, yeah, it will be tricky. It will be interesting. Yeah. And you are also you're in the UK right now. You drove. Which I, <laughs> I, I pulled a classic American. It was like, how do you drive from Spain to the UK? <laughs> I don't amazing. understand. Europe's <laughs> like, well, I was thinking like it is a mammoth drive, so it's about. So from Spain to Calais, which is northern France, it's like a 12-hour drive, which is huge for Europeans. Like it's something that you're the US guy. You guys do that to a race or to a training <laughs> camp for a weekend, really, don't you? You're just like, oh, you just need to go and drive there. Um, so and then I get the train, I get the the cargo, the cargo's on the train. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> Apart from the fact I hate tunnels, so I get really stressed um about going on the tunnel under the ocean. Um, but you drive the car on, which is for me in these type. Well, it's a thirty-minute train drive, train journey under under the ch- the, the channel, uh, English Channel, um, and you stay in your car. So there is no hmm. like. So from leaving my house in Spain, I like stopped literally for like petrol and bathroom, and then that was it. And I don't have to interact with anybody. I can, right. you know. Whereas if you're on the ferry, you have to get out of your car. You're moving around i mean it takes a bit and it takes a bit longer and then yeah so you kind of drove through the night got a 4am or whatever it was train um and then drove yeah drove drove home today and part of the reason you're there though is because you are a backup para (laughs) guide for (laughs) the olympics and so you gotta like practice next week because you've never and this is interesting because we have aaron shady shady's oh god i always say wrong on today who is uh one of the u.s like blind athletes world champion para and he talked to us a bunch about guides but now i want to hear from your perspective how one ends up being a guide (laughs) yeah so like so with british british triathlon or british para triathlon they have potentially two athletes and they both have race guides then that's all like been locked in for years they've been training with them they have their training guides but british triathlon para triathlon are in a position where they can take a reserve guide because obviously as as the athlete you've you've trained for that moment mm-hmm. if your guide gets injured sick in the last moment then you still want to be able to perform so mm-hmm. i we were talking about it last year and then obviously everything sort of went out the window and then um, we sort of touched base again early this year and it was kind of like, I don't know what's happening yet still. Anyway, there is an opportunity to come back here and spend a week 
Um, and I'm going to clarify here. I'm in isolation for this first week and I'm having tests every few right, days. Right. Um, and then on day five, if I test negative, I can then leave and go into a, go into the training centers with the para athletes. And then they have a strict protocol. Anytime I'm with a para athlete, we have to be lateral flow tested in the mo- every day and all of that anyway. But yeah, so it's, I've not done it yet. So this is literally kind of an exploration week of going, how do we ride a tandem? And like, how do we swim as a guide and running and guide? And also probably more importantly for the, for the athlete, the visually impaired athletes is like, did they feel that there will be a rapport and a confidence with me, even like as the reserve. So they've got to have that. Um, and, and you probably spoke about it, but they've got to have that confidence that the guide can do the job um, on the day for them to get there or give them the best chance to get that medal. Yeah. I mean, it sounds really interesting. And like Aaron told us, Aaron's also obviously very fast. So he has to call up like yeah. former <laughs> Olympian men to like guide him. Yeah. <laughs> and I like pull some people out of retirement. I'm a little bit yeah. worried about my swim ability at the moment. <laughs> like, oh God, <laughs> I'm going to be the one that's sitting on the hip. Getting dragged. <laughs> right. You're like, ooh, that's a you don't want to hold back your your athlete for no, sure. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. It uh so you may so you may end up going to Tokyo, which will be interesting. Um, like we said, you know, it is very locked down this year. They're not really like letting any spectators in to the Olympics. Um yeah, so you'll and get the, to you'll get to see. Yeah, so the the, the spec there's not not letting any international spectators there. We don't know what restrictions they may bring in further down the line on sizes of teams and support staff as well that might come into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we'll see what happens next week. Um, if I can be part of helping them, the the two athletes to get their to get their dream to achieve what they want to at the Paralympics, then that's kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to be involved in something like that and helping, helping them and, and to see it and be part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. It does sound, um, cause I've been talking to a few athletes, obviously, uh, Olympic qualification and para qualification yeah. is about to restart. Like the points uh, restart on May 1st and then they'll have Yokohama is kind of the first big race, uh, first big like world triathlon series race in the second week so i've been talking to some of them and it does sound like it's going to be very locked down like we couldn't even get really a photographer in there or anything even if they were already in the bubble and already like it's and then it's going to be even more locked down once they're in total like it's going to be completely only ioc people um not even world triathlon people so it's it's they're they're running like a tight ship yeah and the thing that's interesting as, as well like you mentioned about the qualification so for so let's take the Olympics. Um, the, and we were talking about this off air as well with some mm-hmm. of the, the, the selection um, conundrums that some of the countries have. But the national country picks your three athletes. So for mm-hmm. you know British triathlon pick the three females that will represent Britain and USAT, you know, or the US Olympic Committee, they pick the US athletes. But for para triathlon, it's done on global ranking, as far as I understand it. So it's not that like British triathlon can say, well, we're going to take our two best athletes. They have to be ranked in the top 10, say, yeah. in the world. There's a, I, there's a, it's like, it's similar, but uh, yeah, but different. Yeah. You have to, you have, cause even in, in regular, not paratri, you have to have be eligible for qualification, right? Like yes, you have to be yes. in the top X amount. To, yes, that's right. But it's not yeah. like, the numbers are so much smaller for paratri that they say we're just going to take the top 10 and i don't quote me on these but like we're just going to take the top 10 in the world 
doesn't matter what country they're from, like to get a spread, it could be like that there was, I don't know, five of those top 10 were <laughs> Americans or whatever. I don't know if that would happen. That's not, that's not, a, yeah. Well, that's not, the, each country still only gets a set number of spots. And I know this because I talked to Melissa yeah, Stockwell, who, yeah. uh, yes, because there are three Americans in her division in the top 10, but the US only gets two spots. So it's a whole okay. thing. Okay. People can spend a lot of time yeah. in the <laughs> Olympic qualifications. It is very detailed. And, uh, and we are going to run some more stories about this, but like for the US, because since most of our listeners are US based, the US currently has three spots for the women and currently has three spots for the men but that's still like to be determined with points because it depends on how many men are ranked in the top 30 and if they get three spots for each they'll be the only country that has three spots for each yes yes this is and this is olympics isn't it and this is olympics this is spot, yeah. but then who gets those three spots is not necessarily the top the three people for those three spots right. yeah that is like, but then there's a whole, you can auto qualify if you're in the top eight or if you podium at Yokohama. And then if nobody podiums at Yokohama, then it'll go to whoever's in the top eight. And if nobody's in the top eight, then it'll be a discretionary committee. It's a whole pro. And then in para, it's a similar thing, but for each category. Oh my God. Yes. You, I've already read so many Olympics documents. <laughs> <laughs> because that's right. Because that's interesting. Because for like for Britain, they've obviously, they've got three women, again, they've got three women qualified, but they only have two men, two male right. spots at the moment, which is unheard of for British triathlon when you think of the caliber of men we've had in the past few Olympics of champions. Right. Um, but they're on the, they're risking or looking like they, they're on the, yeah, it's not Cost. guaranteed that the third spot is going to happen for the British. Yeah, well, we might get it instead. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Right, and we'll it is, and it. like what you and I were talking about, it is also a tough thing for like the American women, the British women, to a degree, the Australian women, because I think British and US w women both have six people in the top 30, which is yeah. usually the third top 30 is the cutoff. But you only get to start five at a race at a World Cup. You only get five starts for country. So some of these people can't even get a start to get the points to it's rough yeah just, yeah, just to like show what they can do yeah. Right. yeah and we can you know we complain about you know half and full distance and racing <laughs> <laughs> oh no the itu like understanding the point starts and then being oh. on wait list some people fly around the world to be on a wait list for a race and hope that they get in i That's remember I remember um, Banyolas, there was a race, uh, right. yeah, a couple of in years faith. ago, Banyolas and Flora Duffy was on the wait list and she found out 20 minutes before the start of the race. You're like, yep. And we were all, I was following her journey on the wait list on Instagram. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Olympics is crazy, but it will, I do think it's going to happen. I do think it'll be really exciting if it, you know, if and when it happens, hopefully knock on something. So yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're excited to have racing kind of kind of back starting. We're going to be talking all about it this year, and I hope you uh, you yeah, have all our insight. Got, yeah, we got some. Yeah, we got some big races coming up potentially. Yes. Uh, well, thanks for for all of the European <laughs> insight and input. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, there's some more races happening in Europe. All right. This week, we're talking to Aaron Scheides, who is a seven-time Paratri World Champion eight-time national champion, but you've never actually been to the Olympics in triathlon. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I've, I went to the Paralympics in Rio, but I, uh, for cycling, but I've never been in triathlon, which is my, my main sport. 
And that's because they haven't had your cat. Like categories, I think, are a little confusing to all of us, but they haven't had your category in the Paralympics, right? Yeah, it's it's very confusing. And <laughs> that doesn't necessarily help the Paralympic movement to make it confusing more than it already is. Uh, but they kind of... Uh, pick and choose classifications or different disability categories. Um, each Paralympic, um, it, like cycle and, uh, oh, okay. games and cause they only have a certain number of medal events. Um, the part that I, I don't necessarily fully understand on triathlon is we don't necessarily have that many, uh, categories to begin with. So, <clears throat> I think we should be able to get all our categories in and they could probably cut some track and field categories but there's <laughs> like 57 or something. So, um, yeah. So basically in 2016, the, the blind vision impaired females, uh, competed in Rio, but the blind vision impaired males did not. Okay. So now this time around are the women not competing and the men are no, no, they don't do it like that. Um, <laughs> We, so uh they also have to keep gender equity you know oh, okay but, um yeah no it's the this time around um it's both the blind male and female uh categories uh they realized we're the most fun to watch for everyone so uh they better put us in or the sport will go downhill really quick um so no they it's basically, and in 2016, we were one of the most competitive categories as well. So I, I don't really understand the, the decision okay. process, but, but anyways, uh, yeah, we were, uh, not included in, in, uh, in Rio, but, um, I had a, a fun and interesting experience, uh, with, with cycling. It was, and it definitely helped my cycling in, in triathlon. It became, it, it allowed, um, Ben uh, Collins and I, my guide, uh, a chance to kind of work and improve our technical skills and uh, our power on the bike. And so I think that's that's definitely one of our our weapons in triathlon is our. No. Okay. But I assume that the fact that it's finally in Tokyo, I mean, you're what, you're 39, you have two kids. I'm assuming the fact that it's finally in Tokyo is part of why you haven't retired, right? Um, That would be a good reason. (laughs) Um, Okay. Would probably be one of the main reasons. Yes, um, I, I didn't want my my career to end. Uh, let's say in Rio, in the sport that's not even my main sport. <laughs> uh, right, right. So, um, so yeah, I I, I, I knew that it, it was going to be in for Tokyo pretty much, and um, I've been just trying to hold all the pieces together and uh, <laughs> hopefully put it all together in Tokyo. Uh, that makes. I mean, I would hold on for like one, three, four more years if, if I go to the Olympics, right? So <laughs> let's. Uh, I mean, you've obviously explained that you race in the blind category. Um, let's talk a little bit about how that all came about. How you start started in triathlon. So you have, and I, you made me say this right before, juvenile macular degeneration, which um, essentially that means that your eyes just are deteriorating since you were a kid. Is that so? You could see at one point. More. Yeah, I, I, it's a genetic, uh, recessive eye condition, uh, right. basically that you, um, the, the cells in the center part of your eye, which is your macula basically, mm-hmm. uh, don't get a certain protein. Uh, and so the, the cells slowly kind of, uh, die off. It's, it's kind of like, uh, it's very hard because people see me and, and they kind of like, 
don't understand. I get around so well. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I accommodate really well and I have adapted really well to get around so well, but also, um, the condition I have is just, it's, it's kind of like having a, a, a big, uh, high definition TV. Let's just say everyone has a high definition TV as their vision. And then you start like picking out little like pixels one at a time, you know, starting when you're younger in the kind of the center part of the screen. And it kind of starts going out into somewhat huh. into the periphery, but not totally to the edge of the screen. And then uh, after a time you have no more pixels left kind of in the, the middle part, but I don't see black in that part of your, you, my eyes kind of, you know, fill in with blur. Oh, blur. Okay. Yeah. They like, they like your brain fills uh, it. Huh. Blurry. And if you threw a ball or something, it, it might like, I might see an object and then completely not see it. And then it hits me. <laughs> That's kind of why I stopped playing soccer. Right. I was going to say, because you, I mean, obviously you could see as a kid and you were played sports and stuff. And at some point it was like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is not working. Yeah. It became, it became so, um, yeah. And that's basically what happened is I was getting so frustrated and, and depressed over, uh, not being able to, uh, compete in, and perform at the level that I knew I could just because my vision was, uh, kind of, failing me so yeah okay and so and so i know i mean you talked about this in like other news stories and stuff i know that you kind of were understandably like pretty depressed in your teens then because you're losing your vision you can't play soccer anymore you can't i would think that'd be really hard to get over but at some point you basically like no i'm gonna move on yeah no i mean it it was it was not a a, an overnight thing (laughs) in terms of i i definitely um my my years as a teenager were uh, definitely a lot of searching and seeking for normalcy and trying to just fit in and be like normal, like be like everyone else. Right. Um, but it took time for me kind of to go through the grieving process and, and realize that normal for me is, is not normal or not, is not like everyone else. So normal is, is different. And I think, um, I think we're all kind of have a, a different uh normal in in some way shape or form some things are just not as obvious as others but um it it kind of started off with well i I probably started off getting depressed and whatnot but then it started off uh with obsessive compulsive because i was kind of Hmm. starting to check things like oh did i see that right like the clock and i check it i see that right and then it it kind of expanded to other things with ocd and then, uh, so I basically in, in high school, middle school and high school, <clears throat> beginning of high school had OCD and an eating disorder and depression. I mean, I was like five, eight and a hundred pounds going into high school. Oh man. Um, so <clears throat> yeah. And, and I was, I mean, it was not a good situation. I mean, I was definitely <clears throat> kind of downward spiral or didn't right. necessarily know if I wanted to live anymore or that kind of, uh, stuff. And I mean, it took some time, I think, but the, the, the thing that really got me out of it was like, my brother asked me if I wanted to join the swim team and, um, I, I decided to do that. And I think just getting in the pool and kind of that, like freedom and outlet from being away from everybody in the world and, uh, maybe, pressure stereotypes and all that. And just the, the water, I think in general is relaxing. Um, hmm. and then I just started to really 
like uh, endurance activities and uh, and started like I think that's where I started kind of gaining that learning how to be resilient and and seeking out new challenges and then then I look I, then I joined the uh, cross country team and track and field team and then uh, going into my senior high school. Uh, my my cross country coach had given us a piece of piece of paper in the summer of just uh, you know here's some running events and there was there was a couple of little triathlons and so I was like oh I want to go do that and <laughs> and that's that's how I like most people you know once you pop you can't stop it's kind of like Pringles <laughs> doing triathlons so right okay so you just got started kind of in high school off of a uh, off of cross country training. Mm-hmm. Getting started uh, at that point, I mean, did you like you could still just do it on your own, right? You didn't need a guide, like figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I did it on my own in high school and swimming. I was in the pool and then cross country. Uh, I, I still ran on my own. I mean, could I run better probably with a guide? Probably. I mean, my vision was definitely still legally blind then mm. um, with all correction that you could do. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I started doing triathlon on my own and I just uh, would basically uh the night before my parents would drive the bike course and drive the run course and i would they'd tell me like landmarks at certain corners <laughs> and i'd memorize everything and in the water i would just follow splashes the only problem was is i was i was you know pretty good and i wasn't racing like in an elite category and all that so right. i sometimes would get out near the front and then i well i got some stories from that uh <laughs> so i was just following splashes basically um and then uh, on the bike, I would, I would just try to get up to the, like you know, find somebody that's really fast that I wouldn't pass, and then also use those landmarks that I kind of remembered. I could, I could at that point I could see the white line and the yellow line, and I could stay between it. But I had to remember potholes and all that kind of stuff that my parents had told me about, and and uh, I just tried to stick with somebody that I could keep in my my limited uh, <laughs> sight. So. Um, I, you know, I managed to do pretty well those first couple of years okay. actually with, uh, without a guide and I didn't even have a crash in a race or anything like that. I was going to say, did this ever end badly? Cause I feel like it could end badly. Oh, it could have ended very badly. <laughs> I, and I had, uh, you know, there's, there's multiple times that the funniest things are too, is like, cause I was, you know, I was racing on my own and nobody really knew I was blind per se because, you know, I was doing it and, you know, except when I'd be like, doing the run course or, or, or the bike course and somebody's holding a sign that says like, you know, right turn and a volunteer. And I'm like, Oh, where, which way do I go? Which way do I go? And they're probably like, Oh, I got this sign here. It's got a big arrow on it, sir. Why don't you go that way? Um, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, or, or yeah. I have stories of, you know, trying to get a, a, a water from the aid station and I swipe the whole water table, <laughs> you know, all of the, all of the cups off the water table down. So, um, yeah, but they uh, probably just thought you were a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was actually, <laughs> that one actually, uh, um, when I did that, I actually had a guide. It was at the New York city triathlon and the, and the, the volunteers hadn't hadn't uh, gotten to the aid station. We must have beat them there or something. And I decide my guide's like, "Oh, there's a aid station up here," and I like just put out my arm and just swipe the whole water off all the table, all the cups <laughs> off the table. And uh, he's like, "Way to go, Eric!" 
So now my guide gets my water. Oh, okay. How do you, okay. So let's talk about guides. Obviously at the like Olympic level, at the really elite level. And at this point, like you have a guide, uh, but how do you find a guide, especially if you're pretty fast? I mean, you need someone who is as fast as you or faster, really, so that they're not holding you up. And like, you guys have to practice, right? It's like a reality TV show. You know, <laughs> you go out and you have this big auditions, and mm-hmm. uh, but you, you limit them to basically uh, they have to first submit their times and everything like that. So the first, the first like cuts are like your times aren't good enough. You don't even get a chance to go to the show. <laughs> and then, uh, and then once they get on the show, you know, then, uh, they have to do all these like communication and, uh, or uh, like, you know, these, these challenges, challenges. Yeah. yeah. You know, make sure that it's like speed dating, you know, you gotta make sure that they, uh, you, you guys, uh, match and, and everything like that. No, no, I, well, kind <laughs> of like that. I sent out, um, you know, at one point I'd sent out kind of like a Facebook message looking for guides and here's the kind of times and things that I need the person to be able to go. And I got some, I got some pretty good guides from that, um, over the years. And then, uh, Ben Collins actually, uh, I was living in Seattle, uh, at the University of Washington, going to physical therapy school, and I'd heard uh, about Ben Collins. I was when he was kind of winning everything when he started as an amateur, uh, you know, national championship, world championship, whatever. And I'd heard of him, and so I knew he was from Seattle. So I reached out, and uh, I think he, originally when he got the email, I think he was like wondering if I was really serious or just you know joking about it, but. Uh, we, we ended up, uh, getting together and, you know, did a, the first race that we, we did together was, uh, to try to break two hours at the, um, at the U S open in Dallas, Dallas open for lifetime fitness. Right. Uh, and, uh, we went like, I think one fifty nine something or whatnot. Ben looked like he was ready to do an, an Ironman after that at the same pace. But, uh, I was like, falling over um but uh yeah and then since then we've you know we've traveled and competed in uh well multiple triathlons uh before rio but then we competed in a lot of cycling events and then right. since i've traveled the world competing in paratriathlon events yeah, we had been on uh, earlier this year and he told us, some, you know, about guiding from his perspective and uh, and he said you just go full speed like right through traffic go crazy like you're just you're crazy um so yeah it sounds uh it sounds, it sounds interesting. When, when i'm riding my bike on my own or yeah because <laughs> <laughs> i did ride my bike on my own for a while which was very very dangerous and then <laughs> well then i hit a parked car and put my <laughs> face through the back of the, the truck and i hit and and then i had a fan started a family and kids and i i stopped that okay it was okay. very dangerous very dangerous very very dangerous and i would not recommend anybody do it but it does sound like you two have a lot of fun too and you spend like a lot of i mean basically now you have to spend a lot of time together to get ready for like big events right like you practice and i mean i know you're in different town cities but you have to practice and everything yeah i mean COVID's kind of made that right. a bit difficult but uh we you know it's it's really good to be able to meet up with your guide and train together because you know it's it's important to be in sync and working together, communicating well together. Um, I try to always keep it pretty fun and, 
And um, I've always had good relationships with my guides. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of hire and fire guides, like really, like they go through, you know, relationships when they were 20. Um, <laughs> so, but no, I've always had good relationships with my guides. And, and, uh, I think it's just because I, I value what they're doing and, and try to always make it fun and try to always make sure that they know that I appreciate what they're doing. Are there things that make like a good guide or a bad guide? Like are there certain uh, things that people well, should be I mean, like, uh, if they're in it for the wrong reason, that <laughs> doesn't make it a good guide necessarily situation. Cause if, if the guide's in it to, to like glorify himself or, 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 um, not realizing that the whole event and everything is about, is about, you know, maximizing the blind athletes potential and working together, um, then it can, it can go wrong pretty pretty quick. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, because in some guides, if, if you're, if they're working with a, a lot slower athlete and then themselves, you know, they, they might get into the, like their own competitive mode and then they kind of forget like, uh, okay, you know, I can't get frustrated if I have to slow down and I'm not going my fast pace. Cause this mm -hmm. is not about me. Um, so, and, and then there, there is just, you know, you're, it's just like a marriage. She, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, people get on people's nerves and things like that sometimes, especially if you're spending a lot of time together. And if, if the stakes are high, you're trying to compete and win, you know, a medal in the, in the Paralympic games, you know? They, right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily an, an easy thing. And I think that, um, it kind of, it takes a special person to, to be a, a, a really good guide and, and, uh, so I, I think I, I always value, um, when, when somebody, uh, wants to guide me because, um, they're kind of doing it for the good of, of someone else and giving their time mm -hmm. and everything like that. It's, there's also like rules, right? Like they can't be a current pro. They have to, but oh, like man, for you, when I came into the, when I came into the <laughs> sport, you know, way back when, I made the rules, you know, or, oh, or really? the blind athlete, you know, like you go up to the, the registration table and, uh, well, if they let you to race at some points, there was, you know, question with, you know, with the guy and stuff, but uh, it, it, most races, you know, I just, they just say, Oh, what do you, what do you need? I just say, well, five guides, uh, you know, <laughs> a motor on my bike and, and, uh, okay, we can do that. No. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there just wasn't a lot of rules cause it was so beginner stages of mm -hmm. paratriathlon, but now with it being, you know, an Olympic, a Paralympic sport and, um, all these, there's all these rules and regulations and, um, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the guide, they have to be same gender, same country when you're racing kind of internationally. Um, and they, they can't be an ITU pro or now it's world triathlon, I guess, pro, mm -hmm. um, within and race the world triathlon pro event within the last year. Um, they can be a, you know, be racing, uh, well, I mean, Ironman type stuff. Right. Um, but they just can't have raced a world triathlon, but there's so many rules in terms of the tether rule. It's like the swim tether can only be, uh, 80 centimeters, uh, long, which basically makes us like 
bashing each other in the water. So, so, you know, so, uh, small. And then the, the run tether can only be 50 centimeters long between us. So we're really close. Um, and huh. the guide can never go in front of the blind athlete, um, because that would be considered like pacing. Um, the guide can never pull the athlete or push the athlete or help them move forward per se. Um, and then, except in terms of going in front of them, except there's on the run, there's leading zones. So around turns, aid stations, there's leading zones where the guide can go in front, which it, it totally makes sense that when, you know, if, if you're a guide and you're leading a blind athlete or, uh, around a, yeah. a left-hand turn, there's you turn, let's say, and you, even though you tell the blind athlete, there might be a lag where the, the tether, uh, the proprioceptive oh, huh. input from the kind of, uh, tension on the tether, takes a second and then the blind athlete kind of delay and they might drop behind for a few seconds. And so there's leading zones and you got the, the blind athlete has to cross the finish line first. Um, I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of rules, endless rules after rules after rules. Do you guys change tethers then? I didn't realize there were different lengths for uh, swimming. Yeah, we have to change tethers be, uh. um, because, well, the swim tether can, has to be bungee cord and the, the run tether has to be rope. I, <laughs> I don't understand. I, I, I don't know why it needs to be rope because they don't want it to like bungee. Stretch, uh, I, you know, yeah. Okay. Some, of the, I, some of the rules and regulations, some of the rules and regulations are very, very good. I, you know, but some of them, I think it's just, you know, it gets a little redundant, a little, little too obsessive. Right, right, right. I mean, there was obviously even at one point a rule that said everyone had to wear blackout glasses to like level the playing field for blind athletes. And you fought that pretty hard because it was a. Yeah, that was a horrible rule. Um, but it, it was just a rule that was unethical and 99.9% of the blind athletes, even the fully blind athlete didn't, didn't agree with it. Um, but uh, the actual system that they're using now is actually the system that i gave them when that happened um with with a little bit of progression it's a factor system basically um there's a factor portion of it for the swim and a factor portion of it for the run um because there is a difference between completely blind athletes and partially sighted athletes in uh a, a difference that is completely due to the difference in vision or not having vision so right. um, I think the factor is too big right now. And I think it, they probably know that. Um, uh, the only reason I say that is because um, it, so the, the, the population in the world uh, that's completely blind um, of the population um, percentage of the population that's legally blind. It's, it's only it's only like five to 10 percent of the people that are considered legally blind are actually totally blind. Okay. But in in the world rankings right now, I think uh, six out of the top ten people are completely blind. So when you say a factor system, do you mean that it's just like an algorithm? Uh, yeah, yeah. So originally it went off uh, the Paralympic uh, track and field and Paralympic swimming kind of times at uh, at the Paralympics and at their world championships and things like that, and at the distances that we do, and then they kind of made a a factor and then they've they added a transition kind of factor but now it's pretty much now completely transit transition to to uh using all the data from paratriathlon events in the swim paratriathlon events in the 
run and the transition factor. So it's, uh, so yeah, they basically create, create a, a time and the totally blind athletes start for the males is three minutes and 21 seconds ahead of the partially sighted. Like, so I start three minutes and 21 seconds. Uh. And that's what makes it really hard is because, you know, when, when this day and age, there's a, the competition is getting so much better. And if, if you have, uh, some completely blind athletes that start really improving, you know, their abilities and things like that, then they get three minutes and 21 seconds on top of, uh, uh, you know, head, head start. Plus they've gotten a lot better. So it makes it really, really challenging. So Interesting. I didn't realize it was a like a chase format. Yeah, it's a chase format. Huh. Crazy. But uh, so the whole the whole like blackout glasses thing, I mean, it basically like it it made you and anybody else who's partially blind, like they struggle even more, right? Because it, it Yeah, I mean it's it was very dangerous was yeah. part of it. I mean, like like uh so anybody that has any sort of vision at all, even if you have 5%, you're going to use some of that with your visual system is one of your balance systems. And so, um, knocking out that system when you normally use that, it throws off your balance, your equilibrium and things like that. And, um, and so, um, also just, you know, the fact that we don't let people use, um, headphones and raises so to make themselves that which would basically make them deaf because they can't really hear because they're listening to music per se so uh, because of safety issues but at that point they were saying it was okay to basically make yourself completely blind right they are um but it, you know it just it was just a bad rule and and since they've they've transitioned to the new rule and um and we've got a visual impaired working group. It has helped kind of develop and progress good rules. And I think right now where we're at is, is a, a good spot. Um, I think, I think eventually they'll kind of, again, modify the factor and maybe we'll get back to the whole classifications. Maybe at some point um, they will be able to separate it into, cause right now there's in Paralympic sport, there's kind of three blind categories. There's B1, which is completely blind B2, which is kind of like has a little bit of vision. And then B3 is the least of the least category of blindness, but still legally blind. Um, I'm a B2. Um, So at at some point they, they could make it three standalone events or they uh, like a B1 race and B2 race and B3 race. But that again, adds metal events. So, right. Right. I mean, the whole classification thing in para is, there's a lot of classifications. <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah. It, like it's crazy. very tricky. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much in triathlon. There's only, you know, five. Right. Uh, uh, but in, yeah, there's a lot of classifications. <laughs> yeah. And like cycling or something or running, like the other athletes I've talked to, it kind of like, it kind of, a lot of, of being good at cycling or something or running comes down to classification and like which one you're in and on managing all of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then people try to, get into a, a, yeah. a lesser classification and things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's weird. But they you actually classification work. doping. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Cause yeah, I've, I've heard people trying to trick this or not trick, but you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Use the system to their advantage. Yeah. Right. Right. But you actually filed a lawsuit about that whole blackout glasses. This was like going into Rio and you won, but then they didn't put your category in Rio. 
like we talked about. <laughs> you're like, oh. the reason I put it into that category. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't ever going to compete under those. I, I was, I stopped racing. I was never going to compete. Uh, that was basically what potentially would have ended my career right then, because right. uh, I was never going to race under those circumstances where it was something so unethical and um, unsafe and all that kind of stuff. And um, that's what happened in 2011's New York City Triathlon. All the all the blind athletes protested by not uh, wearing hmm. blackout glasses, and I walked the run in protest. And so, anyways, um, but yeah, it, you know, it's it's one of those moments in in kind of history of you know at that point, like you know, I definitely took a stand and and my reputation, and you know, I kind of got a bad reputation for a while and all that kind of stuff just because of any sort of when you have any legal stuff you get into a bad reputation sometimes people look at you differently and whatnot and all that kind of stuff but um you know i have great relationships with usa triathlon or world triathlon now and everything like that i think i think it was just one of those things that needed to be done and uh there was people involved in creating the rules that kind of needed to be removed from that position and and uh we needed to move on and it's been a progression and kind of growth of the sport that's been a positive thing and the factor system now is is now used in the wheelchair category as well oh okay huh but coming out of that was when you were like all right well if i'm not gonna race triathlon in rio then at first you thought about running right but then you got a stress fracture then you thought about triathlon or tra- about cycling tried to tt and you guys like dropped your chain at the TT nationals. And then you thought it was all over. And then they called you up and were like, can you come to the Olympics next week? It's kind of like very up and down to be you. Um, that's, that's just the, 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 <laughs> the first cycling event that I did. It, it went over to, to Italy. This was, uh, before the, the trials event that you're referring to. And I was with Colin Riley and, uh, and the time trial, we got a flat. <laughs> and then, uh, but that was the time trial was, that's, that's what we do. You know, we're, right. we're time trialists in, in triathlon, but then you got to the road race. Oh man. This was like on like cobblestone roads and 30 tandems and, uh, like through the small little streets in Italy and man, oh man, like the first lap around, I heard, you know, like somebody's chain come off and then I heard like a crash and bang. And then, you know, the, then later in that race, we're going to make a turn on the cobblestones, a, a right-hand turn, and we sweep a little left to to open up some space. And this Canadian team kind of cut us off, and Colin moved a little more, but didn't know there was a, a curb that stuck out, and we went straight into the curb, and it, it severed our severed our front our, our front fork completely <laughs> off. Our front like whole wheel was only hanging on by the brake cables. Um, <laughs> And the the mechanics had said they had never seen that before. Basically, that was what helped save us because that took all the stress. And my guide went over the barriers and probably, you know, dislocated some ribs and stuff like that. But uh, that made me be like, whoa, this is this is some real stuff. Uh, I finally got to really like those those uh, road race really road races i mean after i kind of got over the initial like holy what did i just get myself into because i mean i was freaking out that first race (laughs) i was like whoa this is i mean when i looked at the dutch team i mean they're both like six five and the guy looks like he's a linebacker from the nfl (laughs) and i mean these were some legit you know 
people and they they knew what they're doing and they all conversed in different languages and were talking and you know i didn't know what the heck they were talking about all, all these strategies and whatnot <laughs> and to see all these crashes the first race and there was another crash on that same race that the ambulance was in the road and we had to quickly swerve out of their ais but yeah and then in the time trial we didn't think we were going to the the, uh, the trials for for the paralympics we 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 thought we could maybe get a chance and be able to make the team we were doing a great having a great race and about three quarters of a mile to go uh we we're about we're going up this hill start to make this turn and our derailleur just shattered and pieces and the chain broke and we had to run the bike the rest of the way. And, uh, that took us out of, you know, contention and to, to make the team to Rio. And then, then Russia decided to, to dope and, uh, get kicked out of the games. And we were ranked sixth, sixth in the world at that time. Um, and, uh, so the, we got a an invite cause there was a Russian team that, um, I guess would have gone. Um, they weren't ranked higher than us, but it's a long, it's a long story. Okay. Um, because there's just because your team gets a spot doesn't necessarily mean like if I, if, if I earn a, a spot for my team, it doesn't necessarily mean my team has to use that spot for me. Right. 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 Like if, if, if America earns three spots and you were one of the people who earned those two spots, that doesn't mean they're going to give it to you. Correct. Yes. And, and and the cycling team is so predominantly good at like and the wheelchair athletes, the U.S. cycling mm-hmm. team that uh, and they have a wheelchair hand cycle relay and you only have a certain number of spots. So we weren't going to get a spot. OK. And and we and we we can't do track relays and, and, and relays. So we're, we're we, you know, we're not part of that group either. So if you only have nine spots and you can use those nine spots for people that can also make up a relay then yeah so so basically what we got in because russia because and we were sixth in the world i mean it wasn't like we were <laughs> like this you know 25th in the world and just got invited because russia you know doped i mean we had we had meddled multiple times in the in on world cups and all that kind of stuff so when you get a call and are like, can you make it to Rio in two weeks? Like, how does that go down? Is that super expensive first off? Like, uh, do you drop everything? Be, well, it's like super expensive because, you know, I, I, I'm not working my job for three weeks or four <laughs> weeks, but it's not super expensive because if you get selected to the team, I mean, all your expenses are covered. Right. Um, and everything like that. But uh, I had to, you know, still talk to my wife and my family and talk to Ben and all kind of stuff because we, you know, we had we had kind of checked out. I mean, we were not really training that much and we we're like, you know, not really playing on that. And then we had to kind of like re <laughs> pull it back together, pull it all back together. I'm like, oh, okay, let's, uh, let's do a really quick, uh, boot camp training camp and <laughs> get, get out there. Yeah. No, that sounds, uh, I mean, I was on one hand it'd be hard, but on the other hand, it's awesome. So whatever. It was a great experience. I learned a lot from that experience because, um, you know, I didn't have the greatest performance. I wouldn't say in, in Rio, but a lot of it um, was just lessons learned. I, I like the time trial. That's our specialty. We we could have done really really good probably, and uh, you know we we uh, we gave them our tandem to, to go do the checkout process. Like we had it all thought out and you know time timely wise, but they were they were doing the bike check and it just took forever and ever and ever. And I had warmed up a little bit, but I had planned on warming up more. And basically from 
30 minutes until the time of the race, I, I just sat there. I didn't mm. have any bike or trainer or anything like that. I sat, just sat there and then kind of went into the race cold. Um, so that, that was probably something that impacted our race and stuff. And, uh, well, and then on the, on the road race, we, in Rio, it was an insane road race because it was yeah. the same. Was it the same course with like the, part, yeah. part of the same course as the, as the Olympic race? And there was this crazy uphill climb, switchbacks, and then it goes downhill and steep off camber stuff. And we were going down the second time around. And all of a sudden, I thought we had a flat or something. The brakes, uh, Ben was like just pressing the squeal in the brakes to try to keep the bike because it like, it went off like a cliff, you know, off the side. <laughs> and, uh, so just to keep the bike from going off the cliff and stopping it and, uh, it come to, and he somehow managed, we somehow managed to get it to the bottom of the hill and our, our team car, uh, was there to change our wheel. But the, uh, it was so steep and everything like that, that the, um, the brakes had totally melted the rim. Oh. And, uh, it was like, the rim was like a, like a wave, it was completely melted. They'd never seen that before. Uh, but, uh, yeah, then we, we got, I mean, we lost that we were in the front pack and we lost the front pack and, uh, we, we got back in and had a great race from then on, uh, cause we got a new wheel and stuff like that. And we got going like, uh, 62 miles an hour down this descent, which is <laughs> insane. That doesn't sound safe you either. just hold on and you do not move. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, is there, I mean, there's a point at which you start to like speed wobble, and it's very, yeah, yeah, scary. It, yeah, at 62 miles an hour on a tandem, it's uh, it sounds like you're on the wing of a jet, and <laughs> uh, and if you're on the back, your hands are in your guide's hands. <laughs> your life <laughs> is in your your life is in your guide's hands. Oh man, I feel like I feel like somehow I feel like you have no fear, right? Like all your stories like are like, oh yeah, and then this insane crazy thing happened. And it was fine. Well, I mean, as you're, when you're blind, you, you have to trust people and that's <laughs> you, so the thing about uh, blind, blind people and stuff like that, you know, we have to learn to trust people, but, but if someone, you know, if, if someone loses my trust, they're gone. Okay. You, you out of the circle of trust, like you're gone. Like I, you know, cause I that's... mean, if I have to, if I have to entrust you with, with like, telling me if the street is safe to cross and all these other sort of things. And, and, and then you lie to me, not necessarily lying to me, telling me to go in the street and, you know, get hit right. by a car. But, but you know what I mean? It's like, we value, we, we have to, we have to trust other people. And so if, if someone's not honest, that's, that's a major kind of, um, not good thing for. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. For so make sure that you're always honest to all the blind people that you know. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. All right. <laughs> so given like all of the different things that have happened to you and everything, uh, do you think this last year with COVID did it like prepare you better for that for the last year or not for like for the postponement of Tokyo for all of the lockdowns for like everything being rough? Do you feel do like you I'm handled it better? Do I think yeah. I'm stronger because of that? Well, I'm saying, did you, do you feel like you handled it better given everything else you've been through? Um, I mean, I think I, I think I probably could handle it a lot better than someone else. I mean, we, <laughs> that's just the, the tip of the iceberg because in 2019, our, our now two year old was eight months old and, uh, um, got RSV, which is respiratory 
lower respiratory infection, kind of like COVID and almost died, had to be put on a ventilator and had to do CPR for seven and a half minutes to revive him. And so, um, uh, and then the PTSD from, uh, of my wife and even me from, from that situation and then COVID and him being kind of a vulnerable population or compromised because of that. He's doing great now, but, uh, um, it's just a never-ending roller coaster ride. My life is um, <laughs> so every one of those circumstances has definitely made me stronger and be able to handle more stuff. Um, but um, yeah. I still get frazzled sometimes. Okay, all right. Every, every I... once in a while, I get frazzled. But the COVID thing uh, was more of a, a just like a stressful situation of like. Oh man, I have to plan all this over again. Not like I'm freaking out the world's going to end. Right, right. Okay. You you um so obviously we've been talking all about your triathlon. Uh you work like a regular job too. Yeah, I'm a physical therapist. I I work uh with with uh in a skilled nursing facility with uh with old people. That's a got that's see that got to be stressful during COVID also. It teaches you a lot of patience working <laughs> with older people. But uh yeah, and then, you know, of course in the COVID situation, you know, every single day, cause we did have an outbreak in my facility, um, as well. So then, then, you know, I'm coming home to my kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was just, and my, and my wife, I think took it harder or had a different, more difficult time dealing with the, the concern of our children, given everything that had happened or like that than I did, but I still had to deal with her stress, you know? <laughs> I hate dealing with my husband's stress. It's fine. I get that. I know. I I mean, I understood it. I completely understood it. But it's still that stress of her being stressed can also lead to my own kind of a little bit of stress and anxiety of the situation. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's and then the COVID thing is just, I think, taught everybody just to you got to fly by the seat of your pants, be flexible. I mean, I, I've always been flexible because mm-hmm. I, that's another part of being blind. You got to be flexible and trust people kind of, but, uh, but the COVID thing is <laughs> plans have just gone out the window left and right multiple right. times, you know? So. Uh, was it also, I mean, I know somebody else told me that uh, one of the other like athletes on the national team, they couldn't like with that when you couldn't meet up with people, they couldn't run with a guide and they like, so they had to do everything indoors and it like made it really challenging. Yeah. I mean, that's made it really challenging. I Mm -hmm. I went down to to Ben's place to train with him once. (laughs) The one time I go down there to train with him and get ready and then he blows out his back and gets hurt. (laughs) So uh, he's, he's injured right now and rehabbing. Um, So, but it's been very, very difficult because you know, you, you pick and choose uh, well, everybody has their own degree of comfort level of what is okay to do and what not to do and everything like that. And you pick and choose based upon kind of risk mitigation strategies. Um, so now, now, right now I'm racing with Greg Billington. I pulled him out of retirement from (laughs) his Olympic, uh, uh, triathlon career. He thought he was done. And Next okay. thing you know, he's getting phone calls uh, for me. So uh, we raced in Sarasota and he did an amazing job, uh, but he's going to race with me, hopefully in the Yokohama race that's mm. coming up. But Ben kind of continues to, to rehab and I think he'll, he'll be fine come when he needs to race. So, uh, but you know, I just haven't got a chance to 
train with anybody. And that's the thing is I haven't got a chance to really ride on a tandem even out here too much just because of, well, you know, the, I guess, risk and what I don't really think there's too much risk when you're outside, even if I am right. behind him and whatnot, but, but you know, yeah, yeah. but it everyone is has it is. their own degree of, I guess, comfort. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so to- you're going to Yokohama, Tokyo process restarts, like the qualification restarts in May. You'll know, like that'll all be determined by late June. Early yeah, July? they gave us to July 15th, okay. uh, I guess they extended it. So they have to, we need a continental championship. Basically we haven't had a continental championship and that's a lot of points. And so mm. they got, they got a kind of, uh, scrunch one in there somehow. Um, uh, but these races, it's, it's, I'm, you know, I'm looking at these rules and protocols. I mean, I'm, I'm going to Yokohama, Japan, but I, I'm not really going to Japan. I heard you guys like can't leave, can't do anything. No, like I'm going to prison. Yeah. Like I fly to Yokohama and I sit in my room for five days and I can't go out. Like, yeah. And then I, uh, yeah, I was talking to somebody. They're not even, yeah, they're not even like letting IT, USAT or ITU photographers in. They're not like, it's very, very restricted. Oh, it's, like a, it's like a bubble. It's, it's prison. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm not really going to Yokohama. I'm just going to a prison. It just happens to be in Japan. Right. Right. But yeah, okay. I mean, but you know, the, the good side of it is, is we're going to be able to race and uh, we're getting special permission basically to fly in, you know, without the crazy quarantine time mm-hmm. periods and all that stuff. And um, we will be able to race, um, you know, they'll test, they'll do testing and they're doing, you know, they're doing a lot of strategies to try to mitigate things and, um, and all that. And, but it, in the humor side of it, it's, is what it's I'm saying. Funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like prison, but, um, it will be interesting to see cause they do let us have like swim sessions, but as of now, we don't know if, if we can even go out to run, like we can't go out of our room literally. So mm. I don't think we can run. Hmm. Right? There's no, other than there's like a familiarization that, um, happens, I think the day before, um, I, I mean, so it'll be interesting what p- other countries do. I mean, do they do they bring treadmills into their rooms? Right. But you can't you can't go into other people's rooms. You can't. You have to. I don't know. It's a very <laughs> interesting situation. All right, and that's like kind of. I mean, you need that for the point for the qualification. You'll find out. It, and the final like deadline for making a team is kind of whatever you just said, July fifteenth, and then the Paralympics are. End of August, is that right? Um, end of August, yeah. yeah. I mean, we have to have that because there's been a lot of people. I mean, I've never not been on the podium in my life in an international race, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm 17th in the Paralympic rankings right now because I haven't raced very much. And the races that I did, well, one they were two years ago because there hasn't been any races, and they the, the points decrease. Mm. And like the Tokyo test event you know, it got switched, the swim got canceled. So then it became a, a duathlon. So then the points only get, get cut into one third. And then I was coming off hip surgery. So two years ago. And so I didn't race a lot because, well, I was planning on doing the Tokyo test event, the world championships, and then racing a bunch of, you know, big races in 2020 beginning of the year. And all I needed basically was to, 
do pretty good in those or do, you know, fairly well in those. And I was assured a spot, but now those points, you know, right, right, right. You lose those points over time. Huh. It sounds like your, uh, your, your kid just woke up from a nap too. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably, <laughs> you know, I don't know, mad at something, <laughs> mad at something. Um, don't well, worry. There's someone else down there with him. Someone else, you're not just leaving him by no. himself. <laughs> you also started a foundation, right? That's what I was trying to ask you um, about for for kids. I think for like inspiring them, getting them out. Uh, well, no, no. I mean, I was a part of the See Different Foundation, uh, which was a, a organization to help blind and vision impaired individuals get into athletics and things like that. That was kind of beginning part of my uh mm-hmm. career i didn't start that okay. um, actually matt Lord, who owns base performance started see different foundation um that kind of organization is kind of uh dissolved and when you know pe- those people have been filtered into different other organizations um i've done other things like i'm right now uh involved with the children's center for the vision impaired in kansas city um that that puts on the trolley run and actually mm-hmm. this is my my first kid's shirt it says right. stay focused on your dreams and uh has my my eye logo chalked in the eye on the on the sidewalk with the sherlock holmes dog you know looking at the <laughs> eye logo on a magnifying glass and um so i've i've tried to kind of really transition um and be more about kind of family community mm-hmm. um so I, these shirts, uh, you know, the proceeds go to helping raise money for the Children's Center for the Vision Impaired. Um, so just kind of giving back to the community. Uh, I didn't start any sort of foundation. Uh, but okay. I, I don't I, know why I thought you start. I, th- I don't know why. For some reason, you just thought I was a better person than, yeah. than I am. <laughs> what do your kids, I mean, do your kids, I know they're young. They're obviously like two and so they don't really probably even know anything different, but do they think of like dad is blind or is it just sort of like dad's just dad? Uh, well, it's funny because they'll like bring me my phone and cause my phone talks to me all the time to, and, and they'll be like, daddy, you need this, but they'll never do that to my wife. Like daddy, here's your phone. This is yours. They won't play on my phone ever. They'll play it, try to play on her phone or mess around. They won't play with my phone. Uh, they'll always just give it to me like, daddy, you need this. The funniest thing is, is though my, my, my oldest, you know, this was about a year ago. He, every time he would see the American flag, he's seeing it all the time. Cause I'm wearing it on shirts all the time. And so now it's, that's daddy's flag. And so everywhere <laughs> that we go, Hey, it's daddy's flag. It's daddy's flag. Um, and then also he, he's also started to like, you know, get into the, having a little sass and he's like, daddy, just go ride your bike, go in the garage <laughs> and ride your bike, daddy. Nice. Um, so he tells me often to go ride my bike and, uh, and go back to the garage, which makes me feel really good. Um, <laughs> and really loved. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they know, they know something like they know, like, that I, that I compete kind of, and, and do this. I think they know kind of for something, but I don't think they fully understand Mm -hmm. uh, kind of obviously everything about it. And I think, I think they know that I'm got something wrong with my eyes, but they might not completely understand it. Right. Right. They're just like, okay, whatever. Okay. Um, all right. Here's my last question for you. Because we usually end with a would you rather. And now I'm just like, I don't even know if this is a good. I just am curious. Do you prefer? I mean, obviously, at this point, you're used to uh, racing with a guide. But do you prefer like running solo or running with somebody at this point? 
Um, I mean, I, I'd rather run with someone else. I think uh, running with the guide, well, one, it, it, then you feel like more like you're a team and it makes hmm. more of individual sports, more like a team sport. You get to work together. Um, but also it allows me to, to like maximize my real potential and not have to worry about, am I going to hit this or that? Right, right. I'm able to just relax and, and focus on kind of doing the best that I can uh, physically and not have to deal with the, the, the obstacles and things in my way. So, um, I, I really would rather, uh, race and run and train with other people. I'm much more of a social person anyways. So I was, yes. I was just wondering if at this point you're like, Oh my God, I just want to do something solo. Leave me alone. <laughs> like you're tired of everybody. And, and so this COVID thing is like, totally, I'm just like, <laughs> please just give me some people, you know, can I just, can I just have some people here? Exactly. Well, good luck uh, qualifying for Tokyo and at Tokyo. And uh, and thank you for chatting with us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks to Aaron and Laura for chatting and good luck to both of you in your respective races. We'll be watching. And if you liked what you hear, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend. Keep training and keep listening. <laughs>